You know, the church over the last few years in America was publicly and purposely tagged as non-essential. How I many of you know that? And uh, irrelevant. And the sad part about it is there are a lot of churches that just complied. They said, well, we must be non-essential. And uh, so they surrendered to what we now know were enemies of the cross, enemies of all of humanity. And anyway, that's all coming to light, just like the Lord said, nothing that would be hidden would not be revealed. And it's all being revealed. But in truth, the church is the most relevant group of people on the face of the planet, in every nation. And uh, because, you know, we're his body, we're his church, but also we're the salt, we're the light. You know, we are ambassadors. We are those that you know, we, we, we carry that message of reconciliation. Be reconciled unto God as though God were pleading through us. And so that's part of who we are and in every nation. In fact, we really are the spiritual compass. We're the ones that direct the nation back in line with God so that the nation can be blessed. How many of you know, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord? So if God is not your Lord, guess what? You're not going to be blessed. So it's the church. You know, the Old Testament priest, they were to teach the difference between the holy and the unholy, the clean and the un unclean. They were to set the standard from what is acceptable to God to what is detestable in the sight of the Lord. Does that make sense? And American the church as a whole. I'm just saying, I'm not, I, I know we haven't done a very good job. And uh, so we're going to have to step it up. It's just going to cost you a lot more in this hour to do that. But we're not going to retreat from being the salt of the earth. Because if you retreat, guess what happens? The Lord himself said, you're good for nothing but to be thrown out, trampled underfoot by men. And we're right at the verge of all of that happening unless we stand up. Now, I want you to go with me. You guys hang with me, all right? I've got to get this out. But Isaiah 55, and then I'm going to pray. Then we're going to release our, my good friend of 30-something years from Israel, Avi Lipkin. But um, look at this, Isaiah 55. I felt like this was a word. Now, it begins with verse 1. I like this word, ho. Now, that's the way many people have looked at, Jesus, at God as a big Santa. He's not a big Santa. He's God. Forget the big Santa. But he's, he said, ho. Now, that to me is like a shout out from heaven. God's trying to get our attention. How many of you know this week there were some shouts from heaven to the earth? in the form of signs in the heavens and wonders on the earth. There were signs that took place that caused people on the earth to wonder what in the world was happening. I don't know if they have pictures of this or not, if we can get it up. But uh, we went, how many of you saw the lunar eclipse? The full lunar eclipse. We got up in the morning. I couldn't sleep. Now, this is first. Now, some of our friends took this picture. The lunar eclipse, many believe, represents Israel and so they, they saw this sign in the heavens. It looked like a dragon 
about to devour the moon. So anyway, that thought that was pretty interesting. But look at the next one as well. Now, we heard a little bit about, we knew about the lunar eclipse, Mars, you know, that is called the pagan, named after the pagan god, the god of war. Can you, do you have the other one? There's another one up there. If you don't have it, you can take that one off. That looks kind of intimidating. We're not really into the dragon. Now, this is really weird because Mars was in retrograde, which means it looked like to us on the earth it was in reverse. Now, Shirley just started experimenting, looking at the heavens and the stars. You're just supposed to do that. The Lord said there's signs in the heavens. And we found that Taurus the bull was in hot pursuit after the Mars. And then the moon is right behind it, crashing into Taurus the bull. I don't know if that means anything. My own opinion is it does. We're living in very prophetic times. And we need to pay attention. The Bible said, you can take that off now. Now, if Shirley hadn't looked for that, we'd have never known it. She, my wife, is in, she has one of those inquisitive minds. And uh, I don't know if anybody else knows that, but I'm telling you, there were signs in the heavens that declare that God is shouting to this earth. And one thing he's shouting is found in verse 1. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Now, that to me is the greatest shout, not that Mars is in retrograde and all these things. It's interesting, but come, buy, and eat. Yes, come and buy wine and milk without milk or without money and without price. In other words, what he gives is priceless. Whatever you have to give, you you can't earn it, can't pay for it. Why do you spend money for what is not bread? But anyway, there's four comes in those first couple of verses Come to the waters, come and buy. But then it says in verse 3, incline your ear and come to me. And I believe that is a shout of heaven right now all over the earth. Nations are beginning to awaken to that message. We're seeing it in Uganda. Thank you guys for praying for the discipleship gathering this Friday. I was in Uganda, guys. I made it back. No, we, I was in a jungle in Uganda on Zoom from my back porch over in Moravian Falls, and the sound went out. So what good is that? You're going to have a discipleship gathering in the jungle. We've had them all over the country, and they can't hear a word you have to say. So I got on the text, help, Carla, help. You guys pray. Well, right after that, guess what happened? The sound came on, and anyway, we had a glory party in the jungles of Uganda. And uh, there was supposed to be a pa- There is a pastor here this morning from Uganda. Give him a hand back there. God bless you. And we have another man from the Czech Republic. Anyway, God's shouting out in this, in this time. Now, all this to say, I'm, I'm going to, well, let me just go ahead and read the rest of it. He says, incline your ear, stretch out your ear. Pay close attention to what God is saying in this hour. We need to do that. And then he says, here and your soul shall live. In other words, this is not the time to plan our funerals. Even if we have a funeral, Jesus said, though yet you die, yet shall you what? You're going to live, so we live forever anyway. But it's time to get ready to live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. Now, this was really interesting regarding, you know, the Davidic covenant that came to an end with King Zedekiah. I hope I can get this right. And, uh, but 
Jesus fulfilled that Davidic covenant, even though it seemed to come to an end through the Babylonian captivity. And yet God was still doing something, and there's uh, great things are happening, and they're not going to slow God down. Now, I believe, and you know that if you come here, we believe God's Word addresses every subject, every Thing that man would ever be concerned with. It may not give us the specifics, but God's Word addresses every issue that any nation will ever face. How many of you agree with that? And there's a lot of things happening right now. I've heard people say, you know, there are things happening right now that um, you just can't make up. If you hang around Devin O'Neill, you'll find out things happen to him you just can't make up. Just divine things that God sets in motion, I'm just telling you. But there's some things happening right now I, I wish we could make up, you know. And, uh, in fact, some, they used to tell us that's made up. And then we found, no, that's not made up. What you're telling me is made up. But anyway, you know what's happening today at Mount Sinai, November the 13th in Mount Sinai. Do you, anybody know? There's a great gathering of religious leaders from all over the world. There are even some that are gathered there that dare to claim the name of Jesus, but they're there to gather as a part of a UN gathering, climate change, and they're going to have a ceremony. They even have 10 cities set apart, which is amazing to me prophetically, where they're going to simultaneously be in agreement, where they're going to repent for the sins committed against the climate, and then they... They have the audacity. They're going to actually set a new Ten Commandments in motion and then demand that every nation on the earth adhere to these Ten Commandments. It's a total mockery of what happened when Moses came down from Mount Sinai. And anyway, I just, you know, people have asked me about that this week. I can just tell you, it is the religious aspect of what is known as the Great Reset. But another way to put it, it's a fulfillment of Romans chapter 1, those who exchange the truth of God for the lie, and they worship the creature or creation rather than the creator. And uh, I saw one of the groups is called the Elijah Institute, and anyway, they're real serious about what they're doing. Well, we're real serious about what we're doing. Did you know last Sunday, they started this gathering on Sunday, November 6th? Now, I don't know this for a fact. I just heard it. Some of the stuff, I mean, you don't have time to find all this out. you got to believe that some people know what they're talking about, although the more I hear what people have to say, the less I believe that they know what they're talking. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, you, you may wonder as well. But last Sunday was the day on the Hebrew calendar that God began the floods. The door was shut in the ark, and the rains began... And anyway, it just points to the fact that God is still reigning and ruling. Remember, he judged the world by water, by great flood, but he's not going to do that again. How's he going to judge the world the next time? By fire. Now, this is what I... We're going to get back to Isaiah because there's some things I saw, but Matthew 13, we know Jesus said the harvest is the end of the age, right? And we know that during that time, he's going to send forth reapers. They're the Lord's reapers, not the devil's reapers. And they're the Lord's, and they're going to gather together. They're going to set apart. Somehow they're going to be identified 
the wicked from the righteous, right? Now, the wicked, they're going to be identified, and the Lord will gather them up, and they'll bundle them together, and they will throw them into the fire so that they'll be burned. Is that right? And then the righteous, what's he going to do? He'll gather them together, and they'll gather into barns. Now, this was amazing. Did you know this? Now, barn is a place of preservation, but it's not like the barns that we are used to. A barn in that day was actually held underground. It was underground. Now, I'm just telling you there's a whole lot more I could say, but I'm not going to say it today. I'm going to say it soon because I want to share from Isaiah 55. Go back to that text. Now, look in verse, um, verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will do what? He'll have mercy, and he will abundantly pardon. How many of you know God is in the forgiving business? He forgives sin. But then here's what we need to know in regard to all that's happened this week. He said, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, how many of you believe that's true? That God's ways are always higher than ours. Always. If you think you're thinking something that maybe is on the same level with God, now I know he shares his thoughts with us, but his thoughts are even greater. They're higher. They're mightier. And uh, we don't want to think that we know too much because when we think we've got it figured out, we're going to find that God's going to move in many different ways. Now, concerning the election and what happened in our nation, you know, I'm just telling you, Exactly what you thought happened, happened. You know what? The thief has not come for any other reason except for three things. Steal. Steal. Kill. What did Jesus say? He said, do not fear those who can kill the body, but fear those who can toss the body and soul into hell. Fear the one. Fear God. So it's steal, kill, and destroy. And I don't think we're going to get it all figured out. In fact, Romans chapter 11, verse 33, his thoughts are, unapproach, are unsearchable and past finding out. So number one, would we all agree that God's ways are always higher than ours? So when someone says they have it all figured out, in fact, I've heard a lot of prophetic guys, they have it all figured out, and then we found they didn't have a lot figured out. I thought they were prophetic. Well, anyway, maybe the story is yet still being untold, you know, and unfolded. But I think we can agree. Say, I agree. God's ways are higher. All right, there's a few more things I found in this scripture. And then I'm going to turn Avi loose. Number two, his, he is always working. God is always working. John 5, verse 16. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus. They sought to kill him because he'd done these things on the Sabbath. Remember, he'd broken the tradition. But Jesus said, my father has been working until now, and I have been working. Now, if God can speak through a donkey, he can speak through commercials. And this one fits the case better than any I've ever, I've ever seen. So I was going to share with you, but I, 
I saw where now Patrick Mahomes is the quarterback of the Kansas City Chiefs. Help me out if I forget something. And Troy Palomalo was the all-everything safety for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think he's in the Hall of Fame. Anyway, they have a commercial where, where Patrick is in, a, I guess, a food lion. He's in a grocery store, and there's Troy with his apron on, stocking groceries. And Patrick looks at uh, Troy and says, Troy? Always working. That's what Troy, I'm always working. And then it shifts to another scene. And Patrick went to practice his golf swing. He's on a golf course. And he looks over, and there's Troy teaching an old lady how to swing a golf club. And he looks at him rather strange, and Troy says, always working. And then the third scene, Patrick is in a dental chair. And he's, you know, waiting for the dentist to come in. He's got his mouth wide open. Here comes Troy Palomalo with his dental garb on and his tools. And Troy says, you got to be kidding me. He's always working. And then the final scene, Patrick's at a movie theater eating popcorn. And who appears on the screen as the main actor? Troy Palomalo. And he throws his popcorn and Troy says, I'm always working. So in other words, what am I trying to say in that? That's the best commercial I've ever seen. But it also means whatever the scene in your life, whatever it is, God is always working. I don't care what it looks like, God is at work. And you know, the greatest place he's working is inside of us, right? It is God who is at work in you. Say, God is at work. Just point your finger right there. God is at work in me, both to will and to do what pleases him of his good pleasure. So we know that's true. Okay, the second thing, third thing, he's always the same. Say, he's always the same. Now, Hebrews 13, 7, there's a warning, and in verse 9, to the church. And then verse 7 says, remember those who lead you and who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. In other words, conduct matters. Holiness matters. I'm speaking with... Larry earlier, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. You're not going to see the Lord work in all this. But anyway, Paul was basically saying, only follow your leaders as far as your leaders are following Christ. Right? But that's verse 7. Then in verse 9, do not be carried about or led astray with various and strange doctrines. How many of you would agree there's some various and strange doctrines today? And the climate change false prophets are some of, the, some of the greatest example of what is false, not only biblically but scientifically. But in the middle of that, verse 7 and verse 9, it says this. Jesus said, Jesus Christ, or he's not saying, but there's a declaration, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is. He's always the same in character, and he's the same in all that he's doing, all that he's done before. And we got to remember that in this hour. He's always the same. Jeremiah said this, Lamentations chapter 5. Jeremiah came to the conclusion, now listen to this, that the nation was not going to, or the government, put it this way. You can read that. The government or its leaders were not going to save the nation. There was corruption, and the corruptors were having their way, and there were threats. And here's what Jeremiah said. He cried out, you, O Lord, remain forever. 
Your throne is from generation to generation. And we got to declare that, Jesus. And then the next thing, he himself, himself is always with us. He's always with us. You know, if I've heard it one time, I've heard it a, thousands of times. He will never forsake you or leave you. How many of you know that? We've heard that over and over, almost to the point where I wonder if we really believe it. You know why we've heard that so many times? Because it's true. It's true. Jesus said, he said, you know, I'm going to send you, disciple the nations, all these nations, teaching them all things that I've commanded you. And then he said, and lo, it may sound like a hoe to me, but he wants us to pay attention. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And you guys that go here, you know that we interpret that by meaning, especially at the end of the age. You think God's been with you from here on? Wait, you ain't seen nothing yet. I'm telling you, you're going to see how he's with you. you you're going to be shocked. You're going to be surprised. Or you're going to just believe it. It's going to happen. And then he's always interceding. Say always. Always interceding. Hebrews 7:25. Therefore he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. Since he, is, he always lives to make intercession for the saints. He's always... Standing in the gap, interceding, he's the mediator, once and for all, offered himself forever. And then the next thing, his grace is always enough. Say enough. And you know the scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, because of the revelation, Paul said, you know, all this, this messenger of Satan had been sent to him to buffet him because lest he be puffed up in pride. So he pleaded with the Lord. What did he plead with the Lord? Take it away. Take it away, God. Get this out of my life. How many of you ever pleaded with the Lord? Lord, take this away from me. And sometimes you were in delay or whatever. Why? So that you'll know his grace is enough. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. And I believe we're going to know that in this hour. The word sufficient means to ward off, to be of service. Now, heaven's host is at the service of those who are in service to the king in this hour. Did you hear me? Heaven's hosts are in service to those who are in the service of the king. It means that we'll be, not, we'll be available or we'll be enough. And then the, the seventh thing, Jesus is always the way. Say, he's always the way. He's not only a good way, he's the best way. He's not only one of many ways, he's the only way. He's the way out. He's the way that your nation will get out of the mess that it's in right now. It's, he's the way that we get out of the mess and the horrible pits that we find ourselves in. He's the, the way of the Father. He's the absolute way. He's the higher way. He's the promised way. And he's always the way in every situation. Does anybody hear all that? So anyway... You could get real frustrated over what happened this week. I'm not. I knew it was going to happen. I knew. They had, listen, if you go the same way down a street over and over and over again and you don't make any corrections, guess what? You're going to end up in the same direction. Hey, folks, they're not coming for us. They're already here. So we have to be the church. You've got to be the church in this hour. I know 
There's some folks that like to get out of here, make an e- a quick escape. And we've been really patient. We've been loving those guys. Anyway, greater is he that's in me. Greater is he that's in you. Greater than he that's in the world. So that's the story I wanted to share after this week that we had in America. Nothing caught God off guard. He, he knew all this. He's, he sees, he's, in fact, he wrote the script. He knows the end from the beginning. How can you know that, God? Do you not know what man is doing? And I hear God saying, do you not know what I am doing? My ways are higher. My thoughts, they're not your thoughts. What if you figure out it? Hey, listen, it's a little bit higher than what you're figuring out. It's a little bit higher. Probably this much higher. So anyway, I want to pray, and then we're going to receive our offering. That's what I wanted to do this morning. Then we're going to invite my good friend from Israel. And we're still, man, this, I could have preached for 20 more minutes. I'm telling you, there will be days we'll show up in here, and we won't leave till midnight. And that's sooner than later. And at midnight, they'll try to sneak some people in here through the roof. And anyway, it'll be a lot of fun. I'm ready. Are you ready? I want to go. Okay, enough is enough. It's time to get in on with this. I'm just the way I feel. But anyway, we're going to receive our offering. If you're writing checks, write them out to the gathering. You guys online, thank you so much for supporting us. I told somebody the other day, I have no, if I counted up how much money we've spent on those discipleship gatherings in Uganda and Tanzania and Congo and Rwanda, I don't want to know the amount because my thought would be, how in the world did we afford that? And all I know is God is the great provider. If he sends you on a mission, he'll provide for that mission. And, and he'll stay with you until that mission is complete. And he's right here with the church right now, the greatest hour in history. And I believe with all my heart that before it's all said and done, just like the Lord said, it is finished. There's going to be a testimony coming from the body of Christ on the earth. It is finished. We have done what Jesus has sent us to do. Did he not say, as my Father sent me, even so send I you. Do you think we're going to fail? If he sent us to do his will and he's with us and in us, So anyway, I want to pray, and then we're going to receive the offering around the altar, and uh, we're going to have a special song. I'm going to go ahead and introduce Avi before you come right after this song, Avi. Avi Lipkin, he's a very special friend. We've known him forever, and well, not forever. It seems like forever, way back in Alabama, but uh, the book that he wrote, Christian Revival for Israel's Survival, was a prophetic book. It was one of the first books he wrote. But he's written many books since then. He's been all over America, around the world. They've started a a new political party in Israel that uh, is a part of the, and you'll have to help me. I don't understand it all. I don't know if it's part of the Knesset, how that all works. But anyway, it's the only party that Christians can run as a member of that party. And there are like 40 parties. Anyway, you'll give us an update. 
I'm just telling you God's using this man. I don't understand. All I know is God is God. And uh, so, but I want to pray for you right now. If you don't know the Savior, this is not the time to keep putting this decision off. This is the day of salvation. And I want to just lead you in a prayer, and then we'll come receive our offering. Just say, dear God, I believe in you. I need a Savior. I acknowledge Jesus, that he is the Son of God, that he lived, that he died, and he rose from the dead. I ask you to forgive me. I confess my sin. And I thank you for the shed blood of Jesus. I thank you if I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus. And I believe in my heart that God has raised his son from the dead. I shall be saved. So I receive salvation by faith. Now if you prayed that, just connect with us here at the gathering. And we'll send you some information, literature, and um, just be a part of your family. Shalom. Good morning. Actually, I said it wrong. It's shalom y'all. Or in Texas, shalom y'alls. And I'll be there in a few weeks, God willing. I'm always very challenged when I have to speak less than three hours. And uh, I say, Baptist, give me 20 minutes, you know, so 40 minutes will be good. Um, I'm going to be bringing in two or three different subjects, but they all coincide and confirm what Pastor Dave was saying. Because God's truth is there right in front of us. And many people do not know or see it. Because we are, I don't want to say the last generation, but we are the generation that has been fortunate enough and chosen by God to see the truth really coming out scientifically. And that's the purpose of me being here. You know, I, we Jewish people are very brainy, we think. But the fact is, we're just as stupid as everybody else. And when I went to church many years ago, I've been in only maybe a thousand churches all over the world. And I listened to the sermons. I enjoyed the sermon this much, very much this morning. And I heard a pastor in Texas get up and say that the foolishness of the Lord is greater than the wisdom of man. How many people have heard that? And how many people believe that? I believe it. I didn't at first because we Jews are very brainy people. Our brains come first. The only problem is we vote wrong. Okay, I'm gonna to get to that. There's a reason for it. I would need an hour for that, but I'm gonna kind of gloss over it. There was a German philosopher 200 years ago by the name of Heinrich Heine. Has anyone heard of Heinrich Heine? And uh, anyway, I mean, I grew up with these things in New York. And he said 200 years ago, this is before communism, he said the world is going to have to decide between the foolishness of the Americans and the despotism and tyranny of the Russians. This is 200 years ago during the czars. And 
when I see the, excuse me for saying a bad word, the stupid mistakes that our politicians make here in America and in Israel, I understand the foolishness is not the foolishness of the Lord. It's just foolishness. Because if you follow the Lord, you can make all the mistakes in the world, but you'll always come out on top because you're foolish in the Lord. And America, for the last 400 plus years, has been a Christian country. And I don't understand what's happening. I mean, I do understand. I'm going to try and straighten it out. The moment you're not following the Lord, you're not foolish in the Lord anymore. You're foolish. And then America loses its preeminence in the world, which is where we're going now, unless there is this great awakening, which I'm sure is going to happen. I think it's going to happen. In 1920s, the Soviets had established their Soviet revolution in Russia, and they sent professors, intellectuals, to Germany to prepare Germany for the great Soviet revolution. This is in the 1920s. And take over the universities, make the universities hotbeds of communist ideology. When Hitler came to power in 1933, in January 33, all these Russian communist professors came to America. And these are the people who have taken over your universities over the last hundred years. And America was caught napping. I think it was Khrushchev who said in 1960, he said, wait and see. You're going to see your children become socialists little by little and then communism will take over in America. And there's a saying, it takes a thief to know a thief. And I want you to know I'm a thief. Why? Because I studied Soviet communism. I studied their methodology. And their dream is, of course, the Russians are, have such wisdom and the Americans are foolish. And it's only a question of time before America will become a communist country. That's what they believe in Russia. And meanwhile, the Christian roots of this country are being cut one by one. Countries being destroyed from within. Your universities have been hotbeds of communist pagan ideology. So it's no surprise the results that we saw in the elections this week. So now I come with hopefully part of the answer. And I have to praise God that we're alive at this time. There's a reason we're alive at this time. And because I live in Israel, I'm able to be close to the scientific and archaeological discoveries in Israel that prove that God is not a myth. What are these pagans saying? There is no God. The Bible is lies. It's, it's all mythology. God forgive me for speaking bad about my sister. My sister's one of these professors. 
when my mother and father died and I went to synagogue to say this relevant prayers for the dead. She said, that's all you know, nonsense. There is no God, and you're following the superstitions of the Jews of Russia from 200 years ago. There is no God. Anyway, you know, very often a father says, I wish my son would walk in my footsteps, my son Aaron. And I have to tell you, I wish that I could walk in my son's footsteps. You don't know my son yet. And so my message will be dedicated to my son because my son, with his work and with the professors he works with, the archaeologists he works with, they all prove that the Bible really happened, that the Bible is true. And I'm sure there are many of you who have heard from non-believers that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob never existed. How many people have heard that? I'm not saying in church. I'm saying uh, this is where you will be healed from that. That Moses, Aaron, and Joshua never existed. How many people have heard that? I mean, you probably live in such a pristine area that you don't hear these things. When in the cities, that King Saul, King David, King Solomon, they never existed. I mean, I hear it all the time because I'm constantly moving and traveling around the world. And I meet up with these atheists. So I start my testimony now. And always remember the year 1967. 1967 was the Six-Day War. And all of a sudden, all these biblical sites in Judea and Samaria have become available for archaeological exploration. So I'm going to tell you a very crazy story. I was a stamp collector. I was born in 1949. And you know, we Jews, we have something called bar mitzvah. It's like confirmation. At age 13, we have bar mitzvah. And uh, you've got to go through all these orientation classes and everything. And I, I was 12, 12 and a half, 13. And instead of listening to my Hebrew teacher teaching us, I was trading stamps with my buddies in the, in the class, you know, under the table trading stamps and talking and laughing. And so my teacher gets up, she comes over, very calm, and she sees a stamp, one of my stamps was the Battle of Shiloh, April 1862, not far from here, Tennessee. And she said, I mean, she was very cool. She says, you know, there's a Shiloh in the Bible. She was trying to turn something outrageous, trading stamps in class, and make it a, a learn. And it was, for me, a very important learning sensation. So we said to the teacher, not in a scoffing or mocking manner, we said, well, where is this Shiloh if it's in Israel? I says, she said, we don't know because we don't know where it is. It's under the ground. It was destroyed. Enter 1967. Five years later, Israel liberates Judea and Samaria and other places. And these Israeli archaeologists start looking for the biblical sites because this is a golden opportunity. We thought we were going to hand it over back to Jordan, but the Jordanians didn't want to make peace, so we didn't hand it back. So we started setting up settlements and building like pioneers. And so there is a 
little Christian Arab village called the Ruins of Shiloh. Kafr Sila. And so the Israeli Jews went to the Christian Arabs and says, where, do you know where Shiloh is, the biblical Shiloh? And the Christian said, yeah, right there in the valley. So the archaeologists came. They started, you know, uncovering and digging. And lo and behold, they find four Greek churches. And in front of one of the churches, they found a mosaic. They dug down six feet. And they found this beautiful mosaic. And it says, may the Lord Jesus Christ have mercy on the people of Shiloh. <laughs> Bingo. We found it. We found Shiloh. And so after years, every year there's an archaeological season. And they're digging and digging and finding things. So we are that generation that is alive now that has found the real Shiloh. Now, why is Shiloh important? Who was born in Shiloh? The prophet Samuel. What is he famous for? He anointed King Saul, and he anointed King David. But in the Bible, it says King Saul, King David were anointed by prophet Samuel. By the way, Samuel is buried just north of Jerusalem. There's a big mosque. They built a mosque where Samuel was born, uh, where he died. So wait a second. For those people who say that David never existed and Saul never existed and Solomon, well, we found the prophet who anointed them. And the whole story, the whole story of Eli, the high priest, and Pinchas and Hophni, his sons, and Samuel becoming the high priest after story is vindicated. So David, Saul, and Solomon really did exist. Whereas people would say, well, it's all, you know, fairy tales. By the way, don't be surprised. We had a prime minister in Israel by the name of Yitzhak Rabin. How many people remember Rabin? Well, he said the Bible is all mythology. It's all fairy tales. Because he was born and raised as a socialist. Socialists and communists don't believe in God. I have a whole teaching about the Jews in America. Because the Jews in America were here in the 1600s. And they fought in the Revolutionary War. 500 Jews stood bivouac at Valley Forge during the Christmas services so Christians could pray. The American Revolutionary War was bankrupt. Washington came to the Jews of Philadelphia. He said, if you don't bring us all your gold, the British are going to hang you and hang us. And the Jews saved the American Revolution. $30 million of gold bullion at that time. There were Jews, I know it's not politically correct to say it today, there were so many Jews in the Confederate Army that when they came to Jefferson Davis and said, we want to go home for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, he said, God forbid, if you Jews go home, the Confederate army collapses. Jefferson Davis said that to the Jews. And it's not politically correct to say it, but the Jews did have plantations. And slavery is a horrible thing today. But in those days, it was horrible also. But that's the way it was in those days. And Jews had slaves. 
And Jews came to the Confederate Army with their wealth and supported the Confederate Army, uniforms and everything they needed. And of course, in the Northern Army, the Union Army, Lincoln established the chaplaincy, the Jewish chaplaincy. So I ask you, I do this in every church, I point to everyone in the room and say, where are those Jews today? You know where those Jews are? That's you. Because the Jews were so loved by the American Christians, America never killed one Jew, like in Europe. And so the Jews were so loved, guess what? You guys have wonderful boys and girls. We have the same God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We have the same Old Testament. Of course, Christians have the New Testament, Jews have the Talmud. And if you study Talmud and you study New Testament, you will, it's hard to believe how similar they are. And Messiah is a Jew from Israel who speaks Hebrew. Jesus wasn't a Catholic priest from Sicily. <laughs> and so the Jews intermarried with the Christians and they disappeared. So why did the Jews vote Democrat? These are the Jews who came in the last 100 years. The Jews were slaughtered by the Russians, by the communists, by the Ukrainians, by the Polish, by the Nazis, by the Catholic Inquisition. So they came here and they projected the blame onto the American Christians who were Protestant. But the American Christians never killed a Jew. Do you know how much trouble I get into when I say to my fellow Jews, you need to go to church on Sunday. He's a Jew for Jesus. I said, I'm not a Jew for Jesus. When you go to church on Sunday, you get to know the Christians who love us so much. If you never go to church, you're never going to know that these Christians love us. This is my life experience. And they say to me, well, we don't go to synagogue on Saturday. You want us to go to church on Sunday? And then they say, well, you know, you need to read the New Testament. New Testament. He's a Jew for Jesus. I say, I'm not a Jew for Jesus. The New Testament is a Jewish book, and anybody who follows the New Testament has to love Israel and the Jews because Christ was a Jew. They say, well, we don't read the Old Testament. Why should we read the New Testament? <laughs> and so then I have a sister who I love very much, and we only talk on birthdays because immediately there's going to be a political fight because we are at opposite extremes. And God, for me... It's not somewhere out there. God is the center of my life. It's the same God that we all believe in. By the way, when will the problem with the Jews end? There's one of two possibilities. When the Jews have to flee America to go to Israel, which I think could happen if, if there's a civil war. There could be a civil war in this country. By the way, that's the Russian and the Chinese dream. God forbid there should be a civil war in America. And America self-destructs. That's one possibility. Or things just continue hunky-dory, and the Jews intermarry with Christian boys and girls, go to college, and then they all become Republicans. <laughs> because America is the greatest country on earth. It is the kindest, most warm-hearted country on earth. And uh, don't you have Christian churches that want to come to Israel? I, I, he said, I'm tired of the Jewish tourism. It's too difficult for me. Let's work with the Christians. It's a whole new ball game. And then one day he heard about a professor 
archaeological professor in Israel, who, by the way, was not religious. He was socialist. He was from a kibbutz, so a collectivized settlement. And in the Yom Kippur War in 73, he blew up with a, some kind of an artillery shell that blew up near him. And he was given up for dead, and they reconstructed him, and he was walking around the rest of his life with crutches. Basically useless to the kibbutz. And he said, you know what, I want to study archaeology. I said, okay, they sent him to college. I mean, he was a war hero, they sent him to college. And he began a whole odyssey. And he learned that what you do in archaeology is you take 10 men and women, and they start walking little by little, looking for little pieces of pottery or glass or iron, something which is not of the place. And they noticed that the Israelites crossed over from Jordan. In other words, the exodus was in Saudi Arabia, 38 years, and then Jordan and Iraq, and then they came down Wadi Abok and came across, but this is like an hour north of Jericho. No, they didn't come across where Jericho was. That was too heavily defended. They came north. It's called the Desert of Samaria. And so they would collect all these archaeological specimens, and then in the winter, during the rainy season, when they couldn't go out into the field, they would sit and look at every little piece they gathered and try to draw conclusions. And um, one day, they find a tremendous footprint-type structure. The DVDs are on the table. And they studied it, and they found bones of animals that had been sacrificed, one-year-old animals that were kosher animals. Because when you sacrifice to God, you have to sacrifice kosher animals. And so they realized that this was a sacrificial meeting place, and that the Israelites would go around in circles around the foot. Why the foot? Because God said, wherever your feet will tread, I will give to you. And so the foot formation was kind of like a flag of God. And meanwhile, this professor, Adam Zartal, found seven such feet going all the way up to Mount Ebal. Mount Ebal is next to a place called Shechem, in Arabic, Nablus. And uh, that was the seventh and final place that they found. By the way, the city of David, and the, the, you know, the original city of David is in the shape of a foot. And one of the things that even our rabbis don't understand is our three pilgrimage festivals are called going up to the foot. But the rabbis never learned this. My son is teaching the rabbis now about going up to the foot. When you come to Israel, hopefully, if and when you come to Israel, we will take you to these places. So anyway, so one day he went up to Mount Ebal, and uh, Christian archaeologists had been there like 120 years ago. They were looking for Joshua's altar, and they couldn't find it. So what did the minimalist archaeologists say? Well, if you didn't find it, it means the Bible is just a pack of lies because you didn't find it. Well, Adam Zartal found it. It was in another place. It doesn't mean that if you don't find something in the Bible that it didn't exist. It means you're not looking in the right place. All these places 
eventually become known. And they found a, a mound just full of these boulders and rocks, and, but it wasn't natural for that place. So Adam Zartal started, and his team started removing the rocks all the way down to the ground level. You know what they found? They found an altar exactly, exactly the same formation as in the temple in Jerusalem. You know what it's called? Joshua's altar. So you say, okay, altar, big deal. How do you know it's Joshua's altar? So there, too, they found the animal bones, proving that this was a Jewish altar, you know, because the pagans would sacrifice pigs and rats and cats and all kinds of stuff. We sacrificed only the kosher animals. And they put everything in boxes, the bones and the, you know, the dirt and everything. And then they, they, they discovered a new system. They would put all of these archaeological specimens through water, wash everything. And then you see much more clearly what it is. And they found a little lead tablet. And uh, I'm making a very long story very short. The lead came from a mine in Greece. And this is something dated to 3,200 years ago, 1200 BC, which is the time of the Israelites coming over from Jordan into the land of Israel. And they sent it to Czech Republic. We're here, we are in Moravian Falls. The only, the only laboratory they could analyze this was in Czech Republic. And it went through all kinds of radioactive tests and everything. And they found proto or early Hebrew letters inside this little lead tablet. And it said, cursed, cursed, cursed Jehovah. You know, Jehovah's cursing it in the name of Jehovah. Now, what does it say in Deuteronomy? They command Joshua to set up. This is after Moses is left in Jordan. And that was Joshua and the team. And so six tribes would be on Mount Grisim. And six tribes would be on Mount Ebal. And the blessings and the curses would be recited so that everyone would hear it. And so they found these little tablets thrown into the fire where it says, if you do such and such against God, it's cursed. We didn't find yet the tablets where it says blessing, but thrown into the fire, it's probably going to be the curses. So wait a second. If that's Joshua's altar, well, guess what? Joshua existed. And if Joshua existed, Moses existed. But there are people who don't believe in God, say, well, this is just a figment of someone's imagination, whoever wrote the Bible. Then there's another teaching about Bethel. And my, my son made a DVD. That's, all of these things are on the table. I could be talking about Islam, but fighting Islam is a no-brainer. Everybody understands that Allah is Satan and not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And everyone understands Islam is not a religion, but a criminal psychosis. Do I get an amen? I got a three-year jail sentence in Switzerland in 2009. I think we spoke about that when I was here. Of course, they commuted it to 10 years probation and a fine. I said to my wife, 
we're not paying the fine, I'm going to Switzerland, and I'm going to sit in jail on principle. And my wife said to me, oh yeah, she says, do you know who controls the jails in Switzerland? The Muslims. And if you go to jail in Switzerland, they're going to kill you. And if you want the Muslims to kill you, tell me, I'm first. <laughs> to kill me. My wife has a way with words. I always say there's fear of the Lord and there's fear of the woman. Yes. By the way, you know the key to happy marriage? Men are not going to like this. When the man makes a mistake, he should be a man about it and apologize. When the woman makes the mistake, he should apologize even more quickly. <laughs> My wife says, oh, he just says that. Okay. I wish she were here because she'd be sitting in the front row and giving me the look, you know. <laughs> Women give you the look. So my son lives very close to Bethel. And I don't know if you know this or not, but in the last 20 years, this is in our time now, they're discovering archaeologically the most interesting things that prove that this is the Bethel mentioned in the Bible. Where Abraham was and where Jacob was. It's unbelievable what we're finding. So how can anybody say they don't believe in God? And there are Jewish uh, archaeologists, oh, well, no, no, it's not really proven yet. And so Adam Zartal, who was a socialist, he said, these archaeologists have to go to kindergarten all over again to learn archaeology all over again. Because everything that's in the Bible is being proven true. God does exist. The Bible proves that. So I want to say, you know, for me to attack Islam is a no-brainer. What my son is doing is trying to bring to the Lord Jews and Christians who have no faith that God exists or that the Bible is a true book. So I may be trying to move a mountain. My son is moving the whole planet. Because this is a message for all those people who don't believe in God. And this has to be taught here in America in every church and in every synagogue. We have to make the faith in God profound for the Jews and the Christians together. And until we do that, the communists and the atheists are going to continue, God forbid, to have success. And so... I pray for all of you. I pray for Israel. I, maybe I should just say a few words about the political party. I've been speaking in churches 32 years. I'm kind of like uh, Joseph. Why am I kind of like Joseph? I was fired from the prime minister's office in 1990 by socialist communists who said, we know your political views, you're fired. And they put lies in my file. And they said, you will never get a job in Israel again. And they were right. And so I had a Christian lady friend in Texas, and she said to me, y'all come to Texas. And I came to Texas, and she got me to churches, synagogues, radio, TV, messianic groups. She overturned all of Texas for me, for God. And really, hallelujah. And that's how I've been in a thousand churches all over the country and in Canada and in Europe. So instead of being expelled to Egypt like Joseph, I was expelled to the modern-day Egypt, which is America, because in those days, Egypt was the greatest country on earth. 
Today, America is the greatest country on earth. And we have to keep it that way. And foolishness in the Lord is something we all have to be proud of. Because we're human. We make mistakes. But if we're foolish in the Lord, God has his hand on all of us. And will give us the victory. Thank you very much. Uh, I didn't finish about the party. Yes. I, I didn't tell you about the party. So anyway, after five, six years of speaking in churches, primarily about Saddam Hussein and Middle East and all that, and many Christians were saying to me, uh, honestly, naively, tell me, are there any Christians in the Israeli government? And I started looking. I couldn't find anything. What I did find was Arabic-speaking Christians who were communists. Now, communists don't believe in God. But I had met with Arab Christians who believe in God. So I said, let's put together something. And meanwhile, I started meeting Russian Christians. Today, we're meeting Ethiopian Christians. Because we have Ethiopians, some of whom are Christians. We have born-agains. We have Messianic. There are about half a million Christians in Israel. The Muslims have representation. The Druze, Druze are an interesting group of people. They have representation. The only people who have no representation are the Christians. And I say to myself, I have the nerve and the audacity and the goal to go to the Christians and say, support us, but we don't support you in Israel. And so... Our results have been very, very uh, weak. I've been, we've, we got the party registered four years ago. We have run in the last five elections in Israel. Half our, even more than half of our candidates are Christian believers. Uh, and we only got like 500 votes. You need 140,000 votes to get the first four members of Knesset in. And my Christian friends are saying, when God's timing is right, you're going to have a tsunami of hundreds of thousands of Christians who will join the party and, and vote for you. And I'll say something else also. If it's God's will that American Jews and their Christian spouses, because intermarriage is 80%, move to Israel, the Bible Block Party will become the biggest party in the Israeli political system. So hang in with us. Hallelujah. You know, thank you, Avi, for coming. We are honored that you would come to be with us today.